If you have happened to take a look at the insert regarding the sermon outline and uh, you see the text as Daniel 14, I'll, I'll stop you from trying to turn to Daniel 14. That's my mistake. There is no Daniel 14. Uh, there is no Daniel 13. And there's certainly no helper uh, for us in either of those chapters that don't exist. It's John 14. And there we do learn of a helper. A precious passage of Scripture in this uh, farewell discourse. Well, um, headline, uh, PepsiCo wants to sell healthy food. Consumers want chips. Quote, the food and beverage giant says it wants to make more uh, good-for-you snacks, but much of its revenue growth comes from high-fat, uh, high-salt standbys such as Doritos and Cheetos. Uh, we don't always want uh, what we need. I will tell you one of my um, many pleasant memories as a child growing up was uh, with my family, my parents, my two older brothers, on the occasional trip to uh, the fast food uh, joint, Burger King or McDonald's. If if you're wondering why not uh, Chick-fil-A, Pastor, we had no Chick-fil-A's out in the Northwest. I, I would have preferred that. But one particular occasion at McDonald's has stuck with me over the years. This was a trip through uh, the drive through Uh, And as we pull up and the request for the order is made, there was one caveat that we communicated to my dad who then gave the order. My oldest brother liked a lot of his foods plain. So the request was made for a hamburger, plain. Some of you may relate, no ketchup, uh, no mustard, no pickles, just the beef. Sounds simple, right? Well, they asked us to pull forward because this is now a special order. This is not how they make their hamburgers. So we pull forward into a spot in the parking lot. I do not know what the conversation was in the kitchen of that McDonald's that day. I've been curious at times. But about 10 minutes later, what you saw was a young man bringing out our bag of food in one hand, and in the other he had a beef patty between two Coke lids. Correct. True story. We said a plain hamburger. Did did they want the bun? He said plain hamburger. I know my brother. I know he wanted a plain hamburger. I also know he preferred uh, the buns. Not only do we not always want what we need, but sometimes we do not get what we ask for, what we were expecting, what we were hoping for. Now, that's a lighthearted story, of course, Uh, in the Snyders growing up, Uh, but in a much more serious manner as we uh, consider the passage before us, John 14, one of the most beloved sections of Scripture, not only do we get all we need, we receive beyond, beyond what we can imagine. And it comes because someone else who knows you and knows me better than we know ourselves asks for it on our behalf. So it's John 14. Jesus is with His disciples in the upper room preparing them for His departure here uh, days before, the day before, perhaps, uh, of His crucifixion. John 14, beginning at verse 15 to 27. Jesus says this, "...if you love Me, you will keep My commandments." And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, 
whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live in that day. You will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. There are two simple themes uh, that I want to give attention to through this text. One is the neediness uh, which shapes us as a result of the trouble that we face. Trouble from without and trouble from uh, within. And two is the remedy, the help that God provides. Every one of us here is here in part because we have been helped through our lives. From infancy to adulthood, your life has depended on help provided. As you reflect on your own life, however burdensome and difficult or enjoyable and easy your younger years might have been or are today, your life has depended on the hands and help of others. We're learned, we're helped to learn how to walk. You're fed by the hands of others. In school and education, we depend on teachers and mentors. In sports, that we learn from coaches. Even the faith that we profess that defines the core of our identity and purpose was dependent on its proclamation from the lips of another and upon God and His grace to make it known. But it happens to us uh, in life. It certainly can. We're... we're helped in a way one rung after another up the ladder as we mature as people and grow in our faith. And then at some point, it's easy for us to stand upon this platform of life, having maybe kicked away and forgotten the ladder altogether, and we stand maybe with this illusion that we're sort of self-made and independent. No one is. That lie is the first one the evil one sold our parents in the garden when he was seeking to deceive them, saying, you will not surely die when you eat of this. For God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. One way to put that is he's saying, go your own way. Work out your own spirituality in the way that you would understand. You'll be like God, independent. That's what he wants. The irony there is that Adam and Eve were already like God. He, they were made in his image. 
instead of ruling over the beasts of the field and God's creation, they, they give in, they acquiesce and obey one of His creatures. And ever since, man has this bent to go it his own way, to kind of deny the idea of dependence. But friends, our power comes not only in recognizing our dependence, but really living out of that dependence. And in the clearest terms here, Jesus tells us we are needy because there is trouble. Chapter 14, verse 27, the last verse of our section, he says, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He knows they are facing some kind of trouble. Earlier in chapter 14, the first verse, let not your hearts be troubled. And then he comes right out and tells them later in chapter 16, verse 33, all in this same discourse with them, in the world you will have trouble or tribulation. As we hear that word trouble, our minds might go to something like an illness, relational strife, uh, the loss of a loved one, emotional pain. Maybe Jesus is including those kinds of things, but the context is critical here. What is He doing? He's preparing them for really the hardest days and weekend before them. Christ's own departure and the mission that He is calling them to. They struggled to grasp these things. Uh, the whole farewell discourse from chapter 13 to 16 is one of the richest and warmest portions of Scripture. Uh, the washing of the disciples' feet in chapter 13, reminding and communicating to them of their need that they, they need to be served in order to be effective on this mission. Into chapter 14 in the promise, in my Father's house are many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you. The, the wonderful life-giving picture of union with Christ into chapter 15 with the vine and the branches. And then the comfort of chapter 16. A little while, you will see me no longer. You'll weep and lament, but your sorrow will turn to joy. I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice. What's important is that Jesus is preparing them to journey and serve a mission that is way heavier than they can possibly bear. It's kind of like standing on one end of the Sahara Desert and being handed something like this, a bottle of water, and saying, peace be with you. Be well on your journey. Do not be troubled. Here you go. That's, that looks like trouble to me. That's going to run out quick. right? Trouble's coming. They would be facing it. Jesus is going to depart. What does this mean for them? How are we to live in and through trouble? One author said this, we think more money will rescue us, perhaps another job, another spouse, a better house, a new diet or exercise program, a better self-understanding. We want to flee trouble at all costs, but when we learn to move through trouble rather than avoid it, then we greet it differently. We become willing to let it teach us. We even begin to see how God can use it for some larger end. I think Jesus is leading them down that path. And what is our Lord's antidote to living in a troubled world or facing an overwhelming mission? 
Well, he mentions it repeatedly. Some, some, in some ways, the, the glue that holds this whole passage together. Verse 15. If you love me, keep my word. Verse 21. Whoever, ha- whoever has my words and keeps them, he it is who loves me. 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. and My Father and I will make our home with him. The remedy that Christ provides for us in and through trouble is the keeping of the word that he has spoken, that he has given to us. And that word for keep there, used in these verses, means observe, guard, watch closely. Certainly we would include the reading, the hearing of the word, but I think it's more like what Paul says to the Thessalonians as he expresses great thanks uh, for them and their, their ministry. In chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, he says, we, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as, it, as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. We might think of, of keeping as work that we do. And in part, it is. We read, we meditate, we contemplate, we seek to apply the things of God and His Word to our lives. But the picture in Thessalonians is not so much the believer on his hands and knees, knees tilling up the ground and planting seeds. Right? He himself is the soil and the seed is entered. It's, it's having a, a work upon the person taking hold of them, convicting, encouraging. It's, it's working on them. An important aspect of keeping uh, the Word. How is the Word getting beneath the surface? It, it has to for the disciples. Jesus is going to depart. This Word needs to sink down deep in their lives. Think about the word compensate. Eight months ago, while my family and I were driving to a backyard fellowship at Elder Fox's home, I was chewing gum in the car. And as I was chewing gum, out came one of my crowns. One of my crowns. Uh, it had decayed, came undone. Underneath that crown is a very small remnant of, of actual tooth that is left. Uh, that was eight months ago. Just days ago, I had that large gap filled, which included a set of procedures including extraction, healing, implant, healing, and finally a new crown. Uh, It's a saga with numerous but unnecessary details that, that need to be mentioned. But in that eight months, I had grown accustomed to living with a large gap, chewing completely on the right side. I've got this crown now i got to teach myself again to start chewing on the left side. But it really became a new norm. I was simply compensating for the lack or the loss. We get used to living without something. That's one thing when it comes to teeth, but when it comes to the Word, keeping, meditating, applying, yielding to it so that it's having its way with me, animating my heart, that we cannot live without. The disciples needed to know this. And here in this one passage, as we keep or observe the Word of Christ in the midst of trouble, how does this bless us? 
How does this assure us? How does this give us hope? Well, we see at least three wonderful promises from Christ's Word. First is the Spirit's forever encouraging friendship. Verse 16, I will ask the Father and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever. Because of Jesus' words about the Holy Spirit, the, the Helper with us forever, we can say, I'm never alone. I'm never alone. God Himself is with me wherever I go. The Spirit, it's not a mere force. It's not an impersonal power. It is God. Verse 17, you know Him. It is a person. He dwells with you and is in you. The Spirit is a person. The person of God. The word for the Holy Spirit, translated in the ESV as helper, is the Greek word that many of us are familiar with, paraclete. Para, alongside. Kletos, kletos meaning called. So the Spirit is the one called alongside to help. A number of years ago, I had the privilege of going on a short-term mission to South Africa. And the language that many South Africans in their native language speak is Zulu. And I don't know what the Zulu word would be for paraclete or helper, but while there, I learned that in parts of Central Africa, some people speak the Kerang language. And when translators were trying to translate the New Testament into this language, they were struggling to come up with a term that would be fitting to describe the paraclete, the helper alongside. Until on a particular day, they saw a group of people going into the bush, porters, porters, carriers. They're carrying bundles on their heads. And they noticed that in this line of carriers, there, there was always one person who was carrying nothing. From the outside, it appeared to be the boss. Maybe this person's making sure everything is done well. But he wasn't the boss. He had a special job. He was there so that if anyone would begin falling or would fall from exhaustion, he would come to help them up to carry their load. And so in that language, the porter was known as the one who falls down beside us. If you look at the Greek verb for paraclete in the New Testament, it almost always means to encourage, to urge. So whenever we're speaking about the Spirit, we're talking about the encourager, the true friend, the one who comes alongside. But Jesus not only promises the Spirit's forever encouraging friendship, but then you have the promise of new resurrection life in John 14. It's verse 19. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see that I am alive, and you, one way to put it, you will come to life then too. The promise and later reality of the resurrection of Christ changed the, 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 the disciples' world. It was the emergence of heavenly reality breaking in upon earth. It said to them, there's more than this. There's more than the corruptible body, more than this corruptible world, this perishable life. The author Frederick Dale Bruner says, 
seeing Jesus raised, the disciples themselves were raised from despair to mission, from desperate questions to powerful service. In Christ's resurrection, He wants us to have no doubt of His presence with us, in us, to accomplish His mission in the world. The promise of the resurrection. And then one more promise, which is some deep revealings, truth for world mission. Verse 25, These things I have spoken with you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father sends in My name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. What a powerful verse. In a single verse here, we see the whole triune God mentioned. The whole Trinity at work. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father sends in My name, Jesus says. He will teach you everything I said. You think God wants us to get it right? Yes. To get His message Everything I am is poured out that you get my message, my word. I want you to have assurance, confidence as disciples on my mission in this world. Uh, The promise of profound revelation and world mission. Notice what Judas asks. Not Judas Iscariot. What Judas asks at the end of verse 21. He who loves me will be loved by my Father. And Judas asks, how will you manifest yourself to us and not to the whole world? That's a fair question. He's asking, while it's a great blessing for us to know the Gospel of your death and resurrection, why is it so restricted to a small group of people? What about the whole world? And Jesus answers, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. My Father will love him. We will come to him and make our home with Him. He's saying, I will reveal Myself to the rest of the world the same way I did to you, person to person, friend to friend, through the people who love Me and My Word. And My Father and I will come to those who love My Word, those who want to be real disciples. Friends, in this troubled world, we're given profound and real promises that affect us now. The promise of the Spirit's forever encouraging friendship. The promise of resurrection life. The promise of profound truth and revealings from our Lord for world mission. And Jesus says to us, if you want these things to be realities in your life, keep My Word. Yield your life to My Word, My Gospel, to fellowship with Me. Let's pray together. Lord, how we thank You for the the richness of Your Word, of Your Son's words to the disciples and then to us, that we might feed upon them, rest upon them, be encouraged in our hearts by them. We pray, Lord, by Your grace and indeed that Helper, the Holy Spirit, who indwells us, Lord, that we might seek after You with all of our heart and mind and soul and strength to enjoy that fellowship, that communion with You, and all the benefits that flow from it. O Lord, may we keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And Lord, we pray that You would continue to nourish us as Your people, Your needy people, but Spirit-indwelt people. People 
regenerated, the eyes of their hearts made to see your goodness and your glory. Continue to feed us, both by your word, and then, Lord, as we share in this supper together, may we know your nearness and your life-giving strength. For this we pray in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.